Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Wow, one week closer to Halloween, right? My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and I've got a great guest. We're going to be talking about something that's near and dear to my heart uh, with Ben Westhoff. About we're going to be talking fentanyl. And uh, start off if you're watching from Facebook, please hit and you like what you hear. Please hit that that like and follow button. Same thing with YouTube. There's a little man uh, ghost in the bottom right hand corner with a uh, Sherlock Holmes hat on. And uh, that's our mascot, and we have more than 450 videos sitting over there, and they're all different topics, because as you can see with this show, I don't always like to do ghosty topics. I like to do shows that matter. I'm a journalist. It's what I do. So, you know, if, if you're listening and, and you're liking stuff, please, please please hit that follow button, subscribe button, and all that good stuff. Anyway, today today's topic is, 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 is near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm, a pain, I'm a pain management patient, and... Getting my pain pills, which which is an opioid, hydrocodone, is getting harder and harder to get because the DEA has cracked down on all that. And there's been some articles recently, even um, opinion pieces in Newsweek and places like that, where the DEA started to realize that they were kind of cracking down on the wrong people. Okay, because what's happening is that the people that don't aren't able to get their pain medication anymore are going out on the streets and buying it. And like anything else, you don't know what's in that stuff, okay? They might, there might be a 50-30 mixture. You don't know. You don't know what's in it. And a, and a lot of the time, the overdoses that are being reported are from overdoses of fentanyl. And that's because some of the stuff you're buying, like the hydrocodone on the street or even marijuana, is laced with fentanyl. And you don't realize it until it's too late and you've, taken, and you've taken the meds. So, you know, a lot of this has to be looked at because a lot of, What's going on with the figures, um, with the CD, with, with the feds and all that? A lot of it is because of the the street vendors selling the stuff. And Ben West, Ben Westoff, was able to really dig into this thing about you know about about the the, the terror of part of fentanyl because it, it is something that has to be brought out, and I and I applaud him for doing that. I really do. And you know the more awareness people get the, about this, the the less they're going to want to take it, right? But anyway, um, I'm going to shut up and bring him on, and he can introduce himself and all that good stuff. But I think this is a very important show to do, and that's why I wanted to bring him on. All right, here we go. Hello, sir. Hey, Charlotte. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. I'm doing great. Um, as you heard in the beginning, you know, um, I've been watching the stats, too. You know about prescription drugs, and then you got fentanyl on the other side of this. And um, I didn't mean to be a Debbie Downer to start off with, but I mean that's the truth. I mean people can't get their, you know, they, they crack down on all that. People can't get their drugs or, or you know, their opioids for pain, so they're going on the streets. Yeah, that's uh, something that I think it was a massive overcorrection uh, in the opioid epidemic. Is that uh, you know we we keep hearing about Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family and how that's our big problem. And that may have been our big problem, you know, 15 years ago, but 
opioid pain pills, legitimate pills are not the problem at all anymore. In fact, people like yourself who uh, depend on them for like legitimate medical reasons, like you said, if you don't have access to them, the, you know, you're going to have to, people are going out and getting them on the streets. And that's how we got into this mess in the first place. And mm-hmm. so uh, the real problem right now is fentanyl. Yes. And not again, not hospital fentanyl, but illicit fentanyl. Right. And, uh, you know, people probably, a lot of people might know that fentanyl is an important hospital drug too for um, epidurals, for, uh, you know, a, a lot of different uh, different reasons. But the, the illicit fentanyl, the street fentanyl we see is the exact same chemical. The problem is just that no one knows how to administer it properly. You know, drug dealers are mixing it up in blenders or in coffee grinders. Whereas in hospitals, you have trained anesthesiologists who are administering it. And just a tiny, tiny bit too much is enough to kill someone. Absolutely. Um, Tell me about you, sir. About me? Well, I live in St. Louis. I'm an investigative journalist. And I, uh, I used to write about music, actually, mostly, and published a, a couple of books about hip-hop music. But when I was the LA Weekly music editor, I started writing about the rave scene and, and why so many people were dying. And it turns out, um, though these drugs, these deaths were attributed to ecstasy, Mm-hmm. that it wasn't actual ecstasy that was killing people. All of the ecstasy was uh, fake and was being replaced by these new drugs coming out of China. And so no one knew anything about these drugs. And so I kind of made that my mission. And uh, the the most deadly of all of them was fentanyl. So um, what did it take to put your book together? I, you know, my book, Fentanyl Link, you can see it right there in the corner. Um, I interviewed just basically everyone I could, you know. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, you know, users, dealers, I, um, you know, doctors, uh, activists, um, treatment specialists. Kind of the climax of the book was when I went undercover to a couple of Chinese fentanyl operations in China. And uh, I pretended to be a drug dealer and I got to see uh, a fentanyl lab where they were making the illicit stuff and uh, went to this big uh, fentanyl precursors company with like hundreds and hundreds of salespeople. And it was, it was just like any other company, the way that the salespeople were selling this stuff and uh it was very eye-opening now when you talk about like like being at the factory or wherever this was in china watching them make this stuff how do they create the fentanyl how's it made yeah so i went to two uh fentanyl operations one was in wuhan and they were mainly just selling it there uh like i said it was like hundreds of young salespeople who were chosen for their english uh sitting at cubicles and left, you know, at desktop computers, communicating with people on Skype. And that's how I found these places. I just typed in, I just Googled buy fentanyl in China and all these websites popped up. And so I started chatting with the salespeople. I also chatted with a lab owner uh, in Shanghai. 
and uh, went to, uh, I said, can I come visit your lab? And he said, sure. And, uh, you know, he kind of uh, felt me out for a couple hours. We had lunch together. He even asked me straight up if I was a journalist and I had to tell this whole, you know, I had to put on a poker face and practice my acting skills to tell him this whole story. Um, but I finally convinced him to take me to the lab. And, um, you know, it, it looked just like a college chemistry lab, you know, mm -hmm. with uh, the black tables and the glassware and um, there, except that the, the smell was really overpowering. They, it was the middle of winter, but they had all the windows open. Um, you know, the smell was so strong. I had to like put my nose um, into my shirt when I walked in. And, uh, you know, it was just astonishing at the, the amounts of these drugs they were making. So fentanyl was banned in China a long time ago. But when I went in 2018, uh, fentanyl analogs were still legal. And so basically it's just like, they take fentanyl, the chemical structure of fentanyl and they slightly tweak the molecule just enough so you have something that still acts the same as fentanyl, still gets people high, but it's technically legal. And so this company was focused on these fentanyl analogs. They also made these um, synthetic cannabinoids, which are better known as like K2 and spice. Mm -hmm. They're sometimes called synthetic marijuana. And these were kind of, uh, you know, this lab purported to be on the up and up and sell, you know, and, and these chemicals were illegal in China, but they were really for, for the West. They were sending them to the Europe and the U.S. for recreational use. And mm -hmm. um, it was a pretty small lab. There were only about maybe five employees, but I was shocked to see that uh, the amount, the volume of these of these chemicals. And so you know, only two milligrams of fentanyl is enough to, for someone to potentially overdose. So it's, you know, the tip of a pin, a pinhead's worth is, is all you really need. Um, and they were, they were producing these like one kilo size bags and there were barrels of them all over the lab. There were, uh, you know, just huge quantities of these chemicals being sent out. And like I said, this was just a tiny little lab. Right. That's just incredible to me. And, they get, and once it gets sent sent out, what happens to it? Uh, somebody obviously buys it, and then, then it makes it to wherever it's going to go. And then what happens to the powdered stuff or to it? Sorry, I had to hit the cough button there. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways that fentanyl is distributed. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the dark web. Mm -hmm. And it's often sold or just a second, sorry. Sure, no problem. All right. Yeah, I went down the wrong tube. I just made myself a little hot cocoa and uh, I must have uh, made it too thick. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes it's sold over the dark web and, um, you know, people can do these transactions um really kids are the best at it and can have this stuff sent right to their front door um but a lot of times it's just done over the clear web and um sent in fake packaging 
and uh, you know, companies, especially the Mexican cartels, are the biggest client of illicit Chinese fentanyl products nowadays. And they, uh, the vast majority of um, the fentanyl on the streets today, is is comes from Chinese precursor ingredients, like the ingredients, the main ingredients for fentanyl, and they're finished in Mexico and sent up over the border and that's how it all gets here most of it gets here today when you say finished in mexico is, is that put, putting it in a pill form or what does that mean exactly well um the way to think about it is like uh they do 90 percent of the work to make it into fentanyl in china and so since now even the fentanyl analogs are banned so all forms of finished fentanyl are banned in china but these precursor ingredients, these, um, you know, they're kind of like the most important ingredients to make fentanyl are still legal in China. And those, uh, when they're sent to the cartels, the cartels only have to do a small amount of uh, chemistry to, to make finished fentanyl. So so they do most of the heavy lifting in China. Okay. That's interesting. Because I, I, I do hear stories. Um, I have connections on the streets too. <laughs> so I do hear stories about like, People like, like I said earlier, buying hydrocodone on the street and it's laced with fentanyl. Yeah, that's a really big problem too, and uh, that's coming out of the Mexican cartels as well. And um, the, you know, what I tell people is that any pills, any powders that you buy off the black market these days can and do have fentanyl in them. So, like, uh, it's not safe to just show up at a party and do a line of cocaine anymore because I can have fentanyl, meth, heroin, and then pills have become like probably the biggest problem. Um, these uh, M30s, they're called, they're uh, meant to look exactly like uh, Malacrot mm -hmm. brand oxycodone. And uh, these have been the kind of the biggest blockbuster drug for the Mexican cartels. And they sell these, these M30s, the blues, and uh, they look just like a regular oxycodone pill, but they, the DEA says 40% of them have enough fentanyl to potentially kill someone. And uh, now the biggest thing are these rainbow pills that again, look, look like oxycodone, but and have fentanyl, but they're, they're all the colors of the rainbow. They're kind of like Skittle. They look like Skittles. Some people say, and, uh, you know, those are probably fooling fewer people. Like people don't think those are actual pharmaceutical pills. Right. Um, people are starting to ask for those by name and they're uh, very deadly too. Well, I see this, I, you know, I'm seeing warnings in the media about that too, because of Halloween. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think drug dealers are handing these things out at the door to kids. I wouldn't worry too much about that, but, uh, but they're definitely, it's a type of branding, a type of marketing that uh, they're, you know, trying to distinguish this mm -hmm. fentanyl product from what's out there. So um, what's the market like for, for fentanyl? I, I know because you were at the factory, like you say, it moves pretty fast. So how much do you think, you know, monetarily wise does, does China make on this stuff? Well, the the market used to be focused on adulterating other drugs. So uh -huh. most, you know, 
thousands and thousands of people have died from fentanyl without ever even realizing they took fentanyl Mm -hmm. because it's cut into these drugs like we were saying like uh, meth cocaine heroin pills but now there's starting to be a shift in the market like i mentioned and um now i think most opioid users most illicit opioid users know that there's fentanyl in their drugs and Mm -hmm. uh the problem is that Fentanyl is so powerful, so strong that I've heard a heroin user say that once you try fentanyl, you never go back, Mm -hmm. you know, and the sad truth is that even though this drug is killing so many people, it's killing more people than any drug in American history, there are people who really are seeking it out and uh, a lot of addicted users are looking for it. And, uh, And that's kind of the way the market has evolved now. Um, if you go to places on the West Coast, especially like I was recently in San Francisco and San Diego, you know, there's huge, I, I guess, what what part of the state are you in? I'm in Sacramento, NorCal. Okay, well, I'm sure they have it in Sacramento, too. Oh, it's just like <laughs> open air drug markets, basically, mm-hmm. you know, where um, some of the biggest tourist districts in San I used to live in San Francisco, and I was just shocked that right by the BART station, you know, there's people just openly buying and selling, passed out, you know, really predatory drug dealing going on there. And, uh, and people, and it's all fentanyl, you know, people aren't, aren't shooting it anymore. They're all smoking it off of tinfoil. And um, it's, uh, it, like I said, it represents an evolution in the market. So, you know, for the for the Chinese companies, they I don't think they're actually making that much money off it. You know, they they sell these chemicals at really rock bottom prices at a really high purity level. But it's the Mexican cartels who cut them up. You know, it's cut like every step of the distribution process. They uh, more adulterants. So by the time street fentanyl gets to the end user, it's got like less than 10 percent purity. Um, but the cartels are making billions of dollars off of it. Mm-hmm. I find this, you know, the whole process interesting because there's so much of it that's that, that, that's coming, you know, over the borders and stuff, and, and people are getting a hold of this stuff. And like you say, nobody really knows the true dosages to take on this stuff. So every time somebody, you know, takes it, they're they're just risking their life to do it. Yeah, it's. Uh... You know, there there is a safe way to use fentanyl, believe it or not. But like I like we were saying before, it requires anesthesiologists who know how to properly measure this stuff. And um, I think that you know most users actually prefer, say, heroin. Um, you know, especially since with fentanyl it wears off so quickly. You need to re-up every two or three hours. And so it's it's really an awful drug in that way. And people are, you know, have to steal or, you know, do prostitution to to buy it. And they're caught in this cycle and it just gets worse and worse. Once they found out you were a journalist, did they clam up or were, or were they more, more open with you to look at all this stuff? Well, I didn't reveal my identity until I got home, but... Uh, this one company in Wuhan where I went, it's called Yuan Chung. And uh, not long, not not too long ago, the, the Department of Justice just uh, indicted the, the CEO of this company where I investigated. His name is Ye Shuang Fa. 
and um, I met with him and I, I met with him once when I was undercover. And then I called him when I got back to the US with a translator and admitted that I was a journalist. You know, he, he had no shame at all about what he was doing. And he said, well, it's it's legal under Chinese law. So what's what's the issue? Um, but the, the U.S. indicted him and put a five million dollar bounty on his head for uh, any information leading to his arrest. Um, and so he responded with this long declaration uh, in the in the federal court, basically blaming me for for the indictment and all this. And he said I misrepresented his company. He he accused me of being a spy or a secret agent. Um, he also accused me of potentially working for Coke or Pepsi, which is very a strange thing to say, but it's because his company makes this uh, preservative used in colas. And uh, he contends that Coke and Pepsi stole this chemical used for preserving colas from him. And he said that that was my true purpose was to... Uh, steal this you know the formula for this chemical so it's all it's all very strange but he remains at large in china and uh china has no extradition treaty with the us and so they're not going to turn him over really the only way he could be arrested was if he flew to the us or one of our ally countries and got off the plane they could arrest him there but now he knows that he's wanted that's almost surely not going to happen. How long does it take from, say, starting to produce this stuff in the lab to when it hits the streets here? Do you know? Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't think it takes it takes too long. Um, you know, when COVID hit, there were supply chain issues. Like Wuhan, obviously, was like the center of, uh, you know, uh, where COVID came from. And they really sh shut it down with the quarantine. And very soon after you saw the effects in the US and people weren't uh, were reporting massive fentanyl shortages on the streets, but it didn't last very long though. How much, uh, I don't know if you know this, but how, how much fentanyl do you think comes into the US? Well, it, it's really it's really hard to say. I, I've spoke, spoken with different federal agents, DEA, Customs Border Patrol types, and uh, the, the I've heard that we, intercept you know like 10 per, anywhere from 10 percent mm -hmm. of the fentanyl coming into less than one percent mm -hmm. so you know we're we're starting to there you start to hear about these bigger and bigger busts you know like hundreds of pounds of fentanyl or like tens of thousands of pills uh but really it's just the tip of the iceberg and there's really no way to know how much is actually getting through do you um, kind of like along that that note, so that people understand it? However, when people are buying this on the street, are they get, just getting it in pill form, or does it come in the powder so they can smoke it, or what are they getting? Yeah, it's both. And I think if you um, go on the streets of San Francisco or you know Skid Row in L.A. or parts of Seattle, and I'm, I'm sure Sacramento too, they. Yeah. They offer them both. Um, it's insanely cheap right now. Meth too. Like the prices have just fallen through the floor. And um, I've heard that more more powder is being seized right now. Um, 
but there are these big pill pressing operations too in California. And you can, uh, you know, these sort of industrial pill presses, uh, mom and pop operations, or, or I've heard Chinese nationals, uh, American citizen, uh, Chinese American citizens too, have these giant operations in places like Oakland, where they're uh, pressing up tens of thousands of pills at a time. And it's, it's really hard to tell the difference between those and the pharmaceutical ones. I find it terrifying, like you say, because they don't know anything about dosages. So when you're getting these pills, you don't even know. Like, for, for instance, Narco, like I take 10 to 325. So I know how much, you know, opioid is in my pill. Where with this, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a crapshoot. And like one pill from the same batch might be totally benign and the next one could be fatal. So there's no way to know. You're right. How long were you undercover? Uh, I was just in China for about two weeks. So. Okay, okay. That's fabulous, though, that you, that you were even able to do that and not get, you know, taken out by somebody. You know, like they did. I don't know if it's like it, like you know, you see this stuff in the movies, you know, and then you think it's like this, but then it's totally different. Like, like when you go in. Yeah, well, you know, my wife was certainly worried about me. Um, it's not the same as the Mexican cartels, though. These aren't organizations aren't like cutting people's heads off and right. they don't really have guns in China. These companies more just really want to stay within the law and uh, make money quietly. And uh, when the laws change, you know, like like they did ban these fentanyl analogs a year later after I left. So this, this company that this lab that was making them stopped making them, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really not a traditional lawless drug trafficking organization that these, these companies in China, that's called, they're called gray market operators because these, the chemicals they sell are, are legal in China, but banned in the West. And so once, you know, it's just a constant game of cat and mouse because whenever China bans one of these chemicals, these labs switch over to producing something else that uh, is still legal. And so now they're, they're doing these fentanyl precursors, like I said, and also um, like different types of benzos. So like knockoff Xanax, knockoff Valium, um, and, uh, and also these these different novel opioids, these kind of like that are not strictly fentanyls. So right. they're still legal. So you start to hear about these new opioids called ISO and things like that. Um, and so that's just the nature of the problem is that whatever gets banned, they're just going to find something else to make. So, so it kind of led me to the conclusion that we're never going to stop these drugs from coming into the U S you know, we couldn't stop heroin. Right. And fentanyl is 50 times smaller, you know, 50 times less is needed. So all we can really do is try to address the problem here, you know, try to convince people to, to not use these drugs in the first place mm -hmm. and try to help people with addictions get the treatment they need. You know, that's all we can do. It's sad, though, because like you like, like you just said, people, you know, aren't going to stop. And, and, and what gets me is, is you hear more and more about the deaths from, from from this stuff. And it still doesn't detour people because it, because they, they, they want to get higher, whatever they want to do with it. Yeah, you know, um, 
there's definitely addiction is um, caught up a lot in a lot of other things like poverty, you know, like when um, you hear a lot about the chemical hooks of, of these drugs, you know, nicotine is actually even more potent, yes. more addictive than heroin. And uh, but often when it comes to opioid addictions, it's some people, you know, they're they have trauma in their past. They mm -hmm. they're out of work. They're having bad problems with their family or with housing. And a lot of times if people can get treatment, they can get proper counseling mm -hmm. and they can get things right in their lives. That is the best recipe to be able to, to get off. Now you were talking about the cost. What is the cost of, for somebody on the street to buy this stuff? I mean, it's insanely cheap. It's like $5 for um you know one dose of fentanyl basically the pills i've heard of the pills being even cheaper than that i remember back in the old days when i was starting out as a reporter and and, and the big trend was um crank because it was cheap to produce and i remember the dime bags you know and the and then the 20 bags and all that so that's why i was curious about the fentanyl yeah well meth too is is a really really big problem right now as well and usually you have a situations where there's uppers and there's downers and so usually the uh, the uppers will be really popular like meth in the 2000s all the like backwoods crank cooks and uh those deaths were really really rising and then and they started falling and then you had uh opioid deaths the downer uh those deaths started rising but now we're having downers and uppers deaths are rising at the same time so cocaine deaths are way up Mm -hmm. meth deaths are way up fentanyl deaths are way up and um the problem is that fentanyl is being cut into these drugs right and so that's that's spurring it there's there's a, a lot of poly drug use so like we talked about benzos like xanax it's very popular to combine opioids with benzos or alcohol with opioids and the problem with that is that benzos and alcohol are also downers and so when you combine them with opioids, your heart, your, you know, you're, you're basically, your, your breathing just can slow to a stop. Hmm. Well, it brings to mind too, is that it's, it's, it's cheaper. And I think a lot of the reason why they do do, do that combining, it's like, it was, like I said, with crank, it's cheaper to produce the fentanyl than it is anything else. And so it cuts down on costs for producing the other stuff when you can combine it. Yeah, it, it really is cheap and uh the they have these um super labs in in mexico making the math the precursors also come out of china and there's all these labs in china competing with each other to kind of undersell the others and so you kind of have a race to the bottom where um it's cheaper now in real dollars to buy these drugs than it was you know 20 years ago absolutely so how many deaths, I mean, were you able to get stats on that in, in like the last couple of years or what, that the year you went is how many deaths were caused by fentanyl? Well, it was uh, an all-time record back in 2018 uh, when I was doing a lot of my reporting. Uh, but that looks like nothing compared to now. I mean, in 2021, it was 107,000 Americans died from drug overdose deaths and the majority were were from fentanyl 
And uh, it just doesn't look like there's any sign of stopping is the, is the big problem. Um, I think these pills really are the, the big problem right now because people see a pill and they say, well, this is a pharmaceutical product. This comes from a doctor. This is medicine. You know, how could this possibly have any ill effects? You know, mo- there are not a lot of people use heroin in this country. Well, lots and lots of people use pills. And um, I think we've really only started to, to see the, the black market get uh, filled up with these fentanyl cut pills. And there's also a lot of Adderall being cut with meth. That's yeah. like that's like the other big thing right now. And so you just can't, uh, you know, I take the examples of Prince and Tom Petty. You know, these were two huge, wealthy rock stars who you would think could get like safe drugs, you know, but, but even they died from adulterated pills that had fentanyl. They both were on, on opioids for, for pain. Uh And uh, you know, if they can't get safe pills, there's no way someone on the street is going to be able to. Here's a question I have. I don't know if you can answer this. I mean, every pill you get, whether it's an opioid or aspirin, you know, I'm talking about from doctors and hospitals, everything has a lot number. You know, like 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 uh, hydrocodone will have an M or something on there, you know, with a number behind there. Are, are they putting lot number? Uh, excuse me, God, my mouth doesn't want to work. Are they putting lot, nu- lot numbers on these pills at all? Yeah, yeah, they really look exactly the same. Okay. There's, I mean, sometimes they're a little more crumbly. They're not as kind of tight, right. but... For the most part, you can't trust your trained eye. You, if you get it from a pharmacy or from a doctor, you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. There's not fake pills, right? But but don't you can't just trust your your eyes, you know. And how big is I mean, as far as like you know, they're always talking about closing the the border with you know with Mexico, you know. But I mean, I agree with you. I don't see how they can stop this stuff because it's going to come in other ways. Yeah, I actually toured the border recently uh, down in San Diego. And, um, you know, there's parts with uh, the old wall, which is kind of, you know, pretty short. And then the the Trump wall, which is huge. There's actually two walls and there's kind of like a DMZ zone in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, like 20 feet high. And, you know, but like... um, it, it it stops at the ocean, for example. So you can just like swim out, you know, people can just swim around the, that wall really easily. And then it also stops in the mountains, like the, the Otay Mesas. There's no way to really build, construct a wall there. And, and so people can just literally walk around it. So there's no, you know, and plus, the majority of the seizures happen from drugs that are brought across the official border crossings, you know, in cars, that's the most common way, you know, there's, there's other ways to do it, like with drones and with tunnels. Um, There's a lot of ingenuity from the cartels, but, but the point is like you're saying that it's, it's, we're never going to stop this stuff from, from getting in here. So it's, it's pointless to me to spend these billions of dollars trying to do it. Oh, I agree with you there as well, because it's going to come anyway. And like you were saying, there are creative ways to hide it and, you know, and physically hide it. (laughs) We'll just put it that way, you know, where no one would look. Well, technically, no no one would look. It's a horrible problem. But I mean, I I don't see a way. I mean, you got 
you got the border with Mexico, you got the border up in Canada. I mean, it's coming in from everywhere. Yeah, the situation in Canada is uh, is different too, but it's a big problem up there too. There, there's a lot of uh, China shipping directly to Canada. Um, there's a lot of Chinese gangs in Canada that are actually uh, laundering fentanyl profits through real estate. And so in Vancouver, British Columbia has the biggest problem. And um, the the real estate prices have gotten out of hand there. And from what I understand, the, the fentanyl laundering money is a big reason for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think, too, that there might be some payoffs going on with this stuff, you know, as far as the U.S. is con concerned, you know, that somebody really really high up knows what's going on and they just get their little payoff and off they go. Well, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm sure in China, there's, there's a lot of corruption going on about letting the fentanyl out of the country. I'm sure in Mexico, there's, there's obviously a lot of corruption going on. Um, when it comes to the U S you know, the, the DEA has gotten up to shenanigans in the past in terms of in the CIA, in terms of like, turning blind eye to, to other countries, um, you know, making drugs or even making, helping produce them. Federal agencies even helping produce drugs abroad. Um, so it's really, I mean, far be it for me to disavow any potential conspiracy okay. theories, but I mean, it, it's very hard to imagine that there are U.S. politicians on the national level who are okay. trying to encourage this. And like you say, and I agree with, like I said, I agree with you that it's going to continue no matter what. It's always, it's always been there, that drug trade. And it's just so hard because there's so many people involved, you know, and, and so many loose, as, as they say, it's such a slick operation to where it's hard for even the DEA to figure out who's doing what. Right. And um, we've heard a lot now about the fentanyl trade moving to India, for example. So China has the world's biggest pharmaceutical ind industry and India has the second biggest. And mm -hmm. most of it is legitimate, but then a small part of it, they have all these trained chemists, super, you know, um, great universities, uh, chemist people training chemistry, and some of them go to the black market. And India now is... It, there's a lot of Mexican cartel members who are being caught there uh, doing trades and, and, you know, fentanyl has been known to come out of Russia and there's really, you know, there's the drugs are always going to find a way. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think um, the United States stand should be? I mean, should they just not, I'm not saying turn the other cheek, but should they just kind of let up on trying to do something about it? Because I mean, like you say, no matter what happens, it's going to come through anyway. I don't think we should be spending billions of dollars to uh, try to, you know, um, fight the the trade in the way that we are. For example, um, the the big one of the biggest problems is uh, the Mexican cartels, and there's like thirty mil thirty thousand murders a year in Mexico, and the cartels are are really driving that, and so. The idea of legalizing fentanyl is uh, something that most people can't imagine, you know, and like I, I would never want to see my kids like going down to the corner pharmacy and being right. able to buy some fentanyl. But, you know, trying to take the, the this 
out of the cartel's hands. It, it would really save a lot of bloodshed. It would really save a lot of lives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if we could somehow get the cartels out of this business. You know, like legalizing marijuana, for example, in the U.S. has had a lot of problems. You know, like um, that there's still more black market weed being mm -hmm. sold in places like California than there is legal weed. I think maybe because the taxes are, are so high and other issues, but um, but it has kind of gotten the problem out of the cartels. The cartels used to actually supply the majority of the marijuana in this country. And so, you know, it can be done to get the cartels out of the game. But, um, you know, I think we need to strongly look at uh, programs like heroin maintenance which is basically like giving free heroin to addicted users uh, to help them, you know, sort of maintain their habits. And then that will, that will get the drug dealers out of the game. Right. That will make it so these addicted users don't have to uh, steal, you know, like commit illicit activities to get money for their drugs. And um, that's another idea that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of appetite for in the U S right now, but as the problem continues to get worse, I think we have to really consider uh, dramatic outside the box ideas. Well, I was, I was thinking as you were saying that though, that can cause a few problems too, because if you start regulating, you know, giving it to people, but you're, but you're giving to, to them in certain doses, you know, so they don't go through withdrawals and stuff. But the problem is you're going to get people that want more and more. So then again, it's going to go, you're going to have that illegal drug sale again. Uh, you mean like diversion? You're right. saying like, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess they do this in Switzerland, and I think they've had a lot of success. And I, the way they do it is that uh, you have to use with, you know, inside the clinic. There's no take-home doses. Um, you know, right now the methadone programs are are kind of similar to this. Um, but but you know, methadone is 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 a bad drug in a lot of ways. You know, it. it it's some people think it's actually more, some people find it even more addictive than heroin and it makes, you know, people have all sorts of bad side effects. Um, whereas, uh, you know, it, it really is possible to live one's life and be addicted to heroin. You know, if you, as long as you have a clean supply, part of mm -hmm. the problem is just like dirty needles and, and acquiring the heroin is, is where a lot of the danger is. And so obviously it's better, to, to not be, you know, using any opioid at all. And right. um, there's, a, there's a treatment drug that I recommend called naltrexone, the Vivitrol shot, which, which blocks the opioid receptors from being able to receive opioids at all. And um, some people find that to be really effective. The problem is you have to be completely detoxed. Uh, you have to have all opioids out of your system for a number of days before you can try you can take naltrexone which is difficult for a lot of addicted users but you know the point is we do have these these different treatment options and uh a lot of the addicted users out there don't have access to them this is all very interesting to me because i mean like like like, like my case you know i'm not addicted i take it to you know it, it, it's a thing of life for me to be able to function in my life and when you talk about this this these programs like they have over in sweden that's kind of like what that is it's so they can function because coming down off that stuff is not good it's it's not a good feeling at all if they can keep people you know 
just enough with it and everything so that they can function, then why not? Yeah, people live like long, productive lives. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then something really strange often happens. People who might have been lifelong addicted users mm -hmm. find themselves aging out of opioid addiction. You know, like they wake up one day, they might be in their 60s or whenever, and they just say, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And they stop. And it's it's just that easy. So it's it's very strange, you know, like drug use, like any psychoactive, you know, chemical use is very much dependent, not just on the drug itself, but on the setting. Mm -hmm. And they they found that like, you know, when they give mice these uh, injections of, of opioids, and then one day they have them in this cage, and every day they give it the same dose in this cage and the, the, the mouse gets used to it. Then one day all of a sudden they switch it to this other cage and uh, give the same dose and the rat like overdoses and dies. And uh, you know, it's the same thing with like the time of the day, the time of the day affects uh, the reactions. And there's so much about drug use that we just still don't even understand. Well, here's a question, too. I mean, the way the U.S. has approached all this, too, is they've made the drug dealers liable for these overdoses, these deaths. And yeah, you, you think that's the way to go with that? I mean, it's not I – mean, I hate to say it because I'm not trying to, like, favor the drug dealers or anything like that. But, I mean, they can only do so much because they're just out selling. I mean, it's whoever's taking this stuff that, that is going to miscalculate. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not in favor of um... – you know, certainly the death penalty or, 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 you know, incarcerating people right. for uh, you charging people with murder. I, I, I'm not in favor of that. I mean, first of all, people have free choice. You know, it, it becomes more complicated if it's an addicted user. So are they really free to buy this product or not? That's a good question. But, but uh, you know, it, it, it's not the same as murder and it, it shouldn't be treated that the same way. That's how I feel. No, I agree. I mean, I, I agree with that 100% because it is free will. You know, that person, if, if they're going to take more, they're gonna, if, they're, if they want to take more, they're going to they're gonna find it, no matter what. A lot, a lot of times the drug dealers themselves might not even know that fentanyl is in mm -hmm. the drugs they're selling. A lot of drug dealers are only selling to support their own habit. You know, a lot of times it might be two people using together and one of them dies, the other one could get charged with murder, but it could have gone the other way. You know, the, the person charged with murder could have been the one who died. And, and uh, it, it's, it's more complicated than it's made out to be. Now, here's a question that I've always wondered about this. How, how does the, the drug dealer get the drugs? Who, who, who do they get them from? Well, there are various distributors along the way. So, you know, like I said, it starts in China, it goes to Mexico, and then there's these uh, people running it across the border, um, cartel affiliates. And then there are these sort of major distribution points that are in places like LA, Phoenix. Uh, and then they're, then they're sort of uh, Mexican-American, often distributors who take them to these different regional hotspots. So like Chicago, you know, New York, uh, uh, you know, there, uh, Oakland is another big one. And then there's kind of like more localized gangs who are distributing them. So like in St. Louis, it's 
African-American gangs usually in like West Virginia, it's like white families are often doing the drug distribution. There's like the MS-13 gang and right. I think LA and places like that. And, uh, and then they're kind of farmed out to the street level dealers who, um, you know, can, can be from all walks of life. But uh, it's, you know, like I like I said, the, the drugs are sort of cut, often cut every step of the way when these uh, people want to make more money. So they, you know, they want to make their supply go further. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's much cheaper to add something like fentanyl in there than, than there is anything else to make it go further, which is what they were doing with crank too. you know, all those years when they're still doing it. They're still doing that stuff. Do you think that, you know, um, like I said, with the U.S. going after the so many of the drug dealers, it's not going to end the problem. I mean, they have to go after these cartels. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's just a losing battle. You know, the, the U.S. doesn't have jurisdiction in Mexico, and uh, the cartels are smart enough to sort of limit the bloodshed in the U.S. And so, you know, the, the, the Mexican president is kind of like softening his stance on going after the cartels because, you know, it just, it causes, it causes so much death. And, um, it's, it's the Mexican cartels are really, really a, a serious problem that no one knows what to do about. And, um, the, the supply, you know, reducing the supply, the demand, excuse me, reducing the demand in the U S is a lot of people think the, the only solution. Well, that's the thing, and and I, I don't know if you I don't know if you can, you know, reduce that demand. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it certainly is not is not headed in that direction right now. So, I uh, I, I unfortunately, you know, people look for some optimism from me about uh, the future of this, and and there's not a lot to be found. I mean. The good news is that, you know, there's more information than ever. People are starting to learn about the truth about the drug supply. But the, the bad news is that I, I'm almost certain it's going to get worse before it gets better. This has been going on, though. I mean, let's be realistic about this. This has been going on for as long as people could produce these drugs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout human history, you know, people have been... Have been using drugs you know and um and 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 alcohol and you know um it's kind of been in some ways the glue of society but uh but when it comes to something like like fentanyl and these strong opioids this this was never the human brain was never wired to receive and meth you know this this type of stimulation it's these right. reward pathways that are being just overwhelmed and uh it's we're, we're not equipped for it Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when you think about it, too, like, you know, back in the 1800s, they, there was morphine, you know, and people were getting addicted to morphine even, even back then. So, I mean, like I said, this has been going on for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, I don't I don't see it ending. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of the curse of uh, the opium poppy. And it's, be, you know, this plant that has been able to give the most pleasure possible to a person to a human you know but also the most pain possible and uh we've been wrestling with this plant for uh you know probably thousands of years mm -hmm. 
But what I found interesting when I was 12, or 10, 11, or 12, over in Hungary, we, you know, we, the family made a trip back there. And I remember my mom commenting because they, they had all these baby buggies and they, they parked the baby buggies outside the stores and go shopping and leave the babies out. Huh. But the babies are all quiet. And my mother couldn't get over that. The babies are just having a good old time. They're all quiet. And then she found out why. It's because they would take the poppy seed and they would make a drug out of it, a liquid drug out of it, and they would put the stuff on the tip of the... Um, pacifiers. The, uh, pacifiers, yep. <laughs> wow, I've never heard that before. That, yep. uh, Yeah, it's, it sounds like something they used to do in the U.S. And when uh, opium morphine was like the only uh medical drug that really did anything that for sale at like sears roebuck and they gave it to colicky babies yep absolutely all those babies are <laughs> you know well but... um well i've i have to get going my kids are i have to go get my kids but uh but thanks for thanks for having me i i really have enjoyed talking to you well i appreciate you coming on i really do and um, it, it's it's something, you know, it's word that has to get out. You know what I mean? And uh, pe people need to know about this stuff. And they just don't realize the, the, the extent of it and where it comes from. Yeah, exactly. And, and inf information really is key. You know, like, don't think your kids aren't going to be involved with this stuff because it's it's everywhere. So what do you say, last question, you're standing on uh, a street in Vegas with other people that have done research on, you know, on this topic, how do you get people to read your book? Um, well, I, people are most interested in my infiltration of these Chinese drug operations. And um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm best known for. Um, you know, I was on like Joe Rogan and was been a, like, a, I was a subject of a national geographic documentary recently and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I like to think that with, you know, this story of intri international intrigue, right. um, people come for that. But they also when they read my book, Fentanyl Inc., there's a, an overview of how this came to be the history of fentanyl mm -hmm. and sort of how it jumped from the uh, medical realm into the recreational realm. Well, I really admire you for having done it. And uh, I hope you good things continue to come to you. You know what I mean? And um Hopefully, you know, like you say, who knows if, if they're going to be able to control this or not. Maybe probably not, but maybe maybe they'll come to some kind of conclusion with it. Yeah, well, you know, we'll uh, we we discovered a cure for COVID, so uh, or a, a vaccine anyway. So, you know, we have to put we have to put our best efforts into this too. Absolutely. All right, Ben. Well, think, how can people find you? Uh, you can just Google BenWestoff.com. That uh, my website that you had up before, benwestoff.com, okay. um, is uh, the best way. So, All right. Well, thank you so much again. Maybe we'll get you on again on a later date for an update or something, you know. But I really appreciate you coming on. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Charlotte. All right. All right, Ben. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. I learned a lot about traffic, you know, that, that stuff. Sorry I was a little off. I didn't sleep well last night, so I've been kind of loopy today. Anyway, tomorrow, Michelle Zirkel is going to be with us, and she's going to be talking about living in a haunted house. She's written a book um, based on her life in this haunted house. It's, it's, it's more of a, uh, 
piece of uh, fiction, but it's also based on truth of, you know, for life in this house. So uh, she's going to be with us tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, and uh, I think we're going to enjoy that. Um, again, you know, I've been through this and, uh, with my pain management over and over, and I know there's a lot of people like me who are just fighting to get the pain stuff that we need, and the DEA did make a mistake. They did make a mistake when they, they put the rules in because hardly anybody has died from from prescription opioids the people that have died are from the stuff on the streets so um, i'm glad that uh you know some of the states are starting to take action and you know fix fix you know what, what i call the the major error because it's sad because there's, there's people that desperately need the stuff and aren't getting it and that's why they're having to go on the streets and get this other stuff and it's killing them it's killing people Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people, too. We're equal opportunity here at California House Radio. And, uh, again, if you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, please feel free to like and follow. And if you're watching from YouTube, please feel free to subscribe because, like I said, we've got more than 450 videos sitting over there, and they're all different topics. And, uh, yeah, I think there's something for everybody just like this show. But, anyway, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. I will see you tomorrow. 6.30 p.m. Pacific with Michelle Zirkel. Have a good night.